VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, November the 18th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams is producing this Come On With It edition of Open Line this Friday. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Well, wow, what a day. They had it over at Daffodil Place yesterday. I'm not sure what their goal was, the target for fundraising, but $450,000 later, absolutely amazing. So, congratulations, Brian. Bravo, Greg Smith, Jerry Lynn, Ben, whoever participated from this station, and of course all the hard work done by Al Pelli and his team at the Canadian Cancer Society, $450,000. The generosity never ceases to amaze me. All right, so Nuke scores last night. It's his third of the year. He's playing pretty well. He had about 13-plus minutes of ice time last night, so I know he'd really like to be putting a bit more goals on the board but stick with it Alex he's third of the season last night love it all right uh, just a little escape for a sec the first time anyone laid eyes on Mickey Mouse was the day in 1928 of course appeared on the big screen in Disney's production of Steamboat Willie so the cartoon mouse drawn and voiced by animator Walt Disney and of course Mickey Mouse the face of the corporation to this day 1928 hey boy all right sports so there was an infrastructure announcement uh, scheduled for yesterday. I thought it was probably going to be about the Canada Summer Games, and it turns out it was exactly that. So it's a cost share between the City of St. John's, the province, and the federal government, about $11.6 million each. The Canada Games itself kicks in some money, so about a $40 million spend announced yesterday. From where I sit, long overdue. And the irony is that the new 400-meter track and a turf field inside it is going to be exactly where the old track was when we last hosted the Canada Summer Games in 1977. So I think it's a big deal, and I do think it'll have a long-term impact. And Mr. Uh, pardon me, Mayor Breen says he hopes that it'll be there for the long term. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, I know it's going to be some parking complications, but for the games themselves, the real worry was that we weren't going to be prepared with the infrastructure required, including a track, and whatever has to be done at the Aquarina, which of course was also built for the 77 games. So that announcement has been made. The Athletes Village is going to be at Memorial University, so the location makes all the sense in the world, just outside the Aquarina, where the old track was. You know, there's going to be a high-performance indoor facility too, so with some office space and training space and what have you. So this comes across as good news to me. And of course, look, I understand. We'll hear the comments like, there are so many other needs and you're absolutely right. There's a laundry list of needs in the province, but the Canada Games infrastructure announcement yesterday certainly welcomed in the sporting community. But if you want to take it on from a different angle, we're happy to have that conversation on the program. Okay. So while we focus in on the timing of an announcement to replace St. Clair's and the awarding of a contract to Marco... Underneath all of this is what I think might be one of the most important parts of all these types of conversations, is the entry into public-private partnerships. It seems to just be the go-to now. So while the province announces a minor surplus this go-around, and things might be getting a little bit better on that front, but you can't rest on those laurels, because it's all because of an uptick in oil production, consequent revenue, and royalty to the province. And yes, an uptick in uh, prevent, pardon me, uh, individual and corporate taxes. But it'd still be nice for someone to break it down for us in very layman terms. Exactly what does it look like over the course of a 30-year contract? You know, that kind of gets lost in some of the politics of these announcements, when in fact... 
that has to be a prime focus, I would suggest, even if we get a little bit of short-term relief because the private sector is involved. At some point, their profits have to be factored in. So it would be great. And maybe we'll see if we can't get someone from the Department of Finance to really break it down. What does it look like if the province went it alone over the course of 10, 20, and 30 years? And then we can map it out against what it goes in the form of a P3. But we haven't had much conversation there because the politics of these announcements has sort of overshadowed any of that type of conversation. Okay, so with St. Clair's, someone, every single day since the announcement, the same person has sent me an email saying, why don't you suggest it should be Mount Pearl? Sure. <laughs> you know, it should be in a place where you have all the space required for parking and otherwise. And I know in the city of Mount Pearl and surrounding area, absolutely ample land available. But you want to take it on, we can do it. But the P3 with the Her Majesty's Penitentiary replacement and the mental health facility. And look no further than the 260-bed units out in Central, Gander and Grand Falls, Windsor. In the P3, there were hundreds of deficiencies. Hundreds. So there was a fallen down on the job by the contractor and the inspectors because it meant the facilities couldn't open for months after they were supposed to be open. And consequently, people sitting and lying in hospital beds waiting to be in a long-term care facility. So that's part of it. With the issue surrounding the uh, awarding of the contract to expand the emergency department at the Health Sciences Center, it's as confusing as it is for some people frustrating. So when the budget spoke to the fact that it might be about $10 million, months later, the contract is awarded to the tune of $40.5 million. There's a conversation to be had there. The real controversy for the Premier is the relationship of Marco and its CEO, Chris Hickman, with the Liberal Party. Mr. Hickman acted as a guarantor for some $150,000 in their line of credit. They did indeed, Marco made a donation to the Liberals and the Liberals only. So people will focus in on that. Fair enough. You know what leads me down the next path of this? Is if we'd like to do away with any of these types of controversies, the optics or the perception, it is long overdue for the province to entertain some comprehensive campaign finance reform. That's why we find ourselves in these optic problems, isn't it? So if we put the clamps down on who and how much can be donated, we would be able to avoid some of these issues. Does it get you a leg up to get a government contract? In this case, the numbers are out there if people want to talk about them. Not only has Marco had a solid track record in this province, but people will point to what happens behind closed doors. I don't know. I wasn't behind the closed doors. But they also came in with the lowest bid. All the bids were in the, in the neighborhood of 40 to $44 million. So the controversy is based on who knew what, or do we get contracts based on who we know, and our relationship with the government, governing party. Let us get down to the brass tacks and do some campaign finance reform. It's mind-boggling. It's the wild, wild west out there in this province, and it needn't be that way. Now, it doesn't make it easier for political parties, but that's not our concern, is it? Our concern is how our tax dollars get spent and the transparency and accountability that we demand. Let us do some campaign finance reform. Anyway, that's going to drive me around the bend. You want to take it on? Let's go. All right. We talk an awful lot about health care, and we can't avoid it. Stats Canada says in 2021, the highest amount of overtime logged across health occupations in over a decade. There's a slowing in the number of new family doctors coming on the scene. There is a big increase in the number of nurse practitioners, and we have to figure that out, because as we heard from uh, Minister Osborne yesterday, the directive has been given to the regional health authorities to hire more nurse practitioners, but how? Where? 
You know, what are we doing? My question to the minister was, if we only graduate about 12 per year, and we've got 215 licensed nurse practitioners in the province, shouldn't the key first focus be in expanding the seats at the school to graduate more that would be most likely locals, and then most likely locals are more willing to stay? So anyway, more, most over time in a decade put it this way, the Registered Nurses Union also told us this week that Western Health paid out $300,000 in overtime on one unit at the Western Memorial Regional Hospital in May alone. So, it begs the question, is the answer in more healthcare workers, or do we simply have a systemic problem? The system is just not working the way it's intended to. Not here, and nowhere across the country. You know, people will, and I see lots of comments and opinion pieces written about, is it time to not treat the universal health care as a sacrosanct issue that cannot be touched, adjusted, or tweaked, and to expand the private offering. You're going to hear an awful lot of that. It does come with some uh, potential pitfalls, though. We all know that to be true. You know, with the private sector, how would they be able to be nimble and to woo, lure so many of the professionals into their ranks? It does indeed create a haves and a have-nots scenario. Sure, it would deal with some public backlog issues, maybe for an MRI or something. But then what happens with the patients who have the real complex, complicated health needs? They very likely end up in the public system, while people who just need to see their family doctor or an LPN or whatever the case may be, and they have the money, could go to the private offering. So I understand the thought, but we've got to be really careful. Now, there's already private offerings in healthcare in the country. We all know that to be true. The issue is, when is it too much, and when have we gone a step too far? Anyway, that's a big conversation, and we're happy to have it. that say? Oh, yeah. So yesterday was a celebration, or marking the milestone that was first oil out at Hibernia in 1997, after oil was first discovered in 1979. Okay, we know what it's meant to the province. There's a caller there in the queue who wants to talk about how bad the industry is, and that's, o- that's okay, we can take it on. We do know that it kind of changed the course of the province. Now we have four operating offshore oil fields, maybe a fifth in the offing with Equinor's pending decision at Bay Nord. Since the project has begun, Hibernia has contributed $15 billion in revenues to the province, another $4 billion to the federal government. And it looks like it's got another couple of decades of production uh, at hand. What's also curious is, you know, in some corners, the thought is that the federal liberals are going to do everything they can to kill the oil industry overnight. So we know the gathering of representatives from different countries that takes place at the COP conferences. That's the UN conference. Last year was in Scotland. And the consensus was to have an agreement to try to push countries to phase out coal-fired, product, uh, coal-fired electricity as soon as possible. You know, and or some of the compliments for carbon capture, which is, it can work, but it doesn't always work. This year, one of the suggestions was they add language surrounding phasing out all fossil fuels, including oil and gas. Environment Minister Stephen Gibo, representing the country, said Canada is unwilling to put that language, unwilling to support that type of language, which is kind of interesting, because Minister Gibo also went on to say, after Equinor had their Beta Nord project released from his department, he said it might become more difficult for oil and gas projects to get final approval, but then at the exact same time in Egypt, refuses to agree to language surrounding the phasing out of fossil fuels. So... There's the contrast that makes for political confusion, I would suggest. Anyway, COP27. 
We've looked at and were frustrated by the second Auditor General's report to Nissan into the rate of pay afforded to executives and senior managers at Nalcor between 2013 and 2018. You don't need me to rehash it. I'll just give you some. Executives were paid as much as $271,000 more than the equivalent government executives at the top of their pay scale. And it goes on and on. 108 days of leave, over $12,000 in car allowance. There's still some disparity, uh, Denise Sanderhan says, at Newfoundland Labrador Hydro today when compared to government executives. So the question now is... Is Oilco next? It was always a little bit confusing when Oilco got splintered out of Nalcor, but now as they stand alone, should the Auditor General go and have a look at the rate of pay and other issues inside of that company, that Crown Corporation, that is Oilco? The answer to that one is yes, uh, of course. There should be a careful review of the rate of pay in every agency, every board, and every Crown Corporation. There's no legitimate argument as to why that should not be done. So is oil coal next? Yes, please, Ms. Hanrahan. That sounds about the right thing to do. But stick with hydro for a second. We were told there was a possibility over Wednesday and Thursday between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. that there might be some power outages triggered by testing the Labrador Island link. I don't know if any of them happened. It'd be nice to know the result of that test. Has anybody seen a power outage where you live? Has Hydro said that anything happened that triggered any outages, even if they were short-lived? You know, the day before, the average time of res- restoration was about 16 minutes. So the tests have come and gone. Were they a success? Because that's been a long worry, and rightfully so, about the Labrador Island Link and whether it was ever going to work properly. And there's still all kinds of issues plaguing the Muscrat Falls project, but what was the result of those tests? would be great for Hydro to let us in on that one. Okay, this is an extremely difficult topic. But like most difficult subjects, if we don't discuss them, then they just endure in the shadows. And this is about medical assistance in dying assisted suicide. So when it was first discussed at the federal level, you know, in my mind, the thought of someone with a chronic illness with absolutely no hope, living in intolerable pain, a dignified, assisted, medically assisted death, as traumatic and as dire as it sounds, it made sense to me. It did. Now there's more conversations surrounding expanding it to folks with mental health concerns, housing concerns, and the thought in some corners is that the option that some people will choose will prey on the most vulnerable. You know, poverty being one where they choose it because they've got housing complications, what have you. There was a lady in Manitoba not so long ago because of her ALS and the inability to get supports, home care. She made the choice that she wanted to die with the assistance of a physician. Two more stories come from Ontario where these two ladies have a very complicated illness and they don't have the support they need. They need a special type of housing with air filtration because they've got this condition that is, uh, I don't really know how to pronounce it, so I'll just leave it out. Anyway, they need specialized housing. There are significant guardrails for eligibility requirements before a physician will approve and participate in medical assistance in dying. Not only do we have to ensure that those guardrails are as sturdy as they need to be, it's remarkable that the focus has come on how to die versus the kind of supports people need when they're living with mental health issues and or in poverty, whatever the case may be. So, you know, we can't split the focus to the point where the focus is all on how you die as opposed to what supports are needed to keep you alive and healthy and to manage your illness. So this is a tricky one. There has been some legislative changes since it was first agreed upon in the House of Commons, 
And yes, the eligibility requirements are absolutely real, and there's no mention of housing as a, an eligible uh, issue and or simply the amount of money you have or don't have. But that one becomes extremely traumatic and emotional to even discuss. But like most things, those are the ones that need discussion the most, aren't they? So I know that's be a tricky one for anyone to want to broach, but we thought we should bring it up, or I thought anyway. All right, a couple of pieces of good news before we get to the break. So the good old PUB, eh? Based on recent commodity market developments, last night, stove oil dropped by 28 cents. All right. Gasoline down by 9.3 cents. Good. Diesel down by 7.9 cents. Now, we're still paying extraordinary sums of money at the pumps, whether it be for diesel or gasoline and or furnace oil and stove oil, but that's a big reduction. Stove oil, 28 cents down as of this morning. That's the good news. Also, this is a piece of good news, bittersweet. I want to say good morning to Adam and Alex Keating. We know Adam on this program as one of the founders of Colab Software. They're doing excellent work, one of the tech startups that are really thriving here in the province. They lost their dad, Keith, back in 2013 after a battle with stomach cancer. And amongst their circle of friends, the suggestion was, because Keith uh, loved basketball, let's play one game in your dad's memory. Right? And so they thought, let's do exactly that. And here we are, nine years, eight tournaments later, they've raised over $134,000 for a chemotherapy center at the Health Sciences Center. So I'm sure their dad would be over the moon, beside himself, and extremely proud. Adam would harken back to his young days as a basketball player, and Dad working full-time. He'd come home, they'd gobble down their supper, and then he'd, Keith, just like my father would have, would be in the rink or in the gym for hours on end because that's where their children were. So they decided to have the tournament, and it became something huge. 44 teams from across the province, across six divisions, were playing games starting on Wednesday, go through Saturday at the Powerplex in St. John's. Congratulations to Adam and Alex. Undoubtedly, it's made a difference to the boys and their family and friends, and no question, Dad would be super proud. So, bravo. Enjoy the rest of the tournament, which wraps up tomorrow at the Powerplex. I love that story. We're on Twitter. We're still on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Remains to be seen what's going to become of that social media platform. Looks like there's been a mass exodus of some of the critical engineers at Twitter, but anyway, for now, we're there. We're taking your emails. It's openlinefvocm.com. When we come back, let's have a great show. That only happens when you call. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Just before we go to the phones, I have a couple of people who have sent me their suggestions for the rewriting of the Ode to Newfoundland, of course, all based on the decision made at Memorial University to stop singing the Ode at convocation ceremonies which I think is an unnecessary mistake because when we're talking about inclusion, taking something away is the furthest thing from including. So he, he wanted me to put it back out there for your consideration, and I'm happy to do it. Also, an engineer listener of the show, someone who monitors the electric system here in the province and understands the electric system, he says his data logger picked up an event on the grid at 538 this morning that resulted in the maritime link frequency controller kicking in twice uh, in about five minutes to stabilize the generation load balance. He's not sure what triggered it, but that's the only thing he's seen. So no major interruptions that we thought may indeed may take place Wednesday and Thursday. We'll see if we get the formal results of that Labrador Island link testing from Hydro ASAP. All right, I'm doing it. Line six, Bruno, you're on the air. Does sound so happy, Patty. I'm over the moon. <laughs> A couple of things I'd like to touch on today. Um first a couple you know a number of things that you touched on in your intro one that i want to briefly touch on 
that it's a little close to home to me, is with the uh, medical system failing so many of us across the country, um, sadly, not only people with housing issues, but those of us whose quality of life is deteriorating because we can't have access to uh, medical treatment. Um, for instance, not uh, surgeons not being able to find operating room time, being frustrated. My surgeon is about to jump ship and leave the province, like many of yours are too, for many of the same reasons. You can't get operating room time to give his patients a reasonable quality of life. And uh, so that leaves many of us to think, if I can't have a reasonable quality of life, then should not made be widened for us to make uh, it appropriate? If we can't get reasonable medical care, uh, why not let us die with dignity? Any comments? It's a difficult conversation for every individual it'll be a different set of circumstances. I know, like, like I mentioned, when the conversation first began, you know, my mind went immediately to someone who's got a diagnosis and a prognosis that is extremely dire and doesn't have long to live, albeit in intolerable pain, for that person and their family, if there was an option to die with dignity under the supervision you, of a doctor. I get it. But that's where you the... You and me both, and most of us, I think. I, th I think so. But now when we see some stories where people are basically saying that they may indeed have been deemed eligible, but their eligibility came out of the fact that they just ran out of time and patients, you know, living in poverty or don't have appropriate supports and don't have mental health supports and don't have a proper home to live in. So we've got to be extremely careful. You know, nor does it say poverty or housing meets the eligibility requirements. But if that's part of the underlying concern, which is why I can't answer your question directly, because your circumstance would be different than those two women in Ontario and that lady with ALS in Manitoba. So obviously it's a case-by-case -case evaluation, but I understand the concept. But we cannot have people looking for a way out because they can't get supports, whether it be for mental health and or ho house homelessness or what have you. The focus has to be on how to support these people, not how to kill them. Well, absolutely, I think, but uh, why can't my surgeon uh, get uh, enough operating room time to make sure that I get my inguinal hernia attended to so I have a reasonable quality of life? I get it. I'm not, I'm not arguing that point at all, Bruno. The system's not working the way it's intended to. It's just not. I know, and all of us are suffering, and there's no solutions on the horizon, sadly. All right. Uh, Stephen Gilbo... My formerly my Greenpeace colleague from Greenpeace Quebec um, is in at COP27, and as you discussed in your intro, uh, despite the fact that he was on side with um, saying no more coal production, that he won't extend that same thought to the oil and gas that not too many years ago, Stephen Gilbo was hanging off the CN Tower saying, we've got to end this. So what led Stephen Gilbo to become such a traitor, both to the environmental movement, to Greenpeace, and mostly to, to Canada? Now, his weak-kneed excuse 
that he gave for not including oil and gas, as well as coal, on the list of things that need to be uh, put an end to, was that chicken shit Stephen is afraid that the provinces might sue him. Well, sorry. Uh, So he's afraid that the provinces might sue him, which leads to the obvious question, does it not, Patty? What the hell is he doing there? Why aren't the people that uh, he feels can responsibly make decisions about putting oil and gas on that list, uh, why aren't they there making the decisions? Now, I understand that some some members of the Newfoundland and Labrador government are there, but uh, if Gilbo doesn't feel that he can make uh, decisions because he's uh, afraid of being sued by the province, the dim-witted fool, then why doesn't he get his ass home and let the people that are responsible there making decisions? Don't you agree? I mean, he's the, the minister of the environment. It sounds like a one of the appropriate representatives to be at this type of conference when we're talking about the environment. I don't know. Well, that would yeah, be an issue. I understand your concern with what he said or what he did not say. I mean, I think that the country is probably eyeballing natural gas as a next big play in that fossil fuel sector, whether or not people like it or not. That's, I think, what's happening, which is probably leads to the hesitation or refusal to agree to such language of phasing out fossil fuels in its entirety, including oil and gas. So, yeah, I mean, I can't speak for the minister. I'm not really sure what to say. Uh, but before we run out of time, let's get to the Nalcor report if you wanted to make a comment there as well. Well, uh, <laughs> from the beginning, uh, we've had a discussion on whether or not uh, the economics is part of the environment, and I've always, always argued that it was. But I came to the uh, Muskrat Falls project mostly concerned about the uh, narrowly defined environmental impacts, not the economic impacts. But as I pointed out to you, I've been blown away. Because the more I read about the economics of the project, the more I couldn't believe my eyes for what I was seeing, for how out of control this provincial crown corporation was, and for the risk and the hazard that it posed to the residents of Newfoundland and Labrador taxpayers, as well as ratepayers. Well, all of my worst fears have more than come to pass, where everything has been out of control, all along at Nalcor, and the economics of it have been the worst. Now we find out that everyone on the Nalcor heat has been getting considerably above uh, what government employees doing similar work have been getting. They've been getting paid way above pay scale. Now, what I find a hard time understanding, and maybe you can help me understand this, Patty, is, is we've had several reports done on Muskrat Falls that have outlined some of the problems, and yet none of this was addressed by those people, A, number one, and number two, the government has done nothing about it. Uh, why is that? Why has there been no action on curbing Nalcor's excesses? Uh, in the past, and I would be damn worried that oil coal, we know oil coal is out of control already, and uh, if the provincial government didn't have the balls in the past 
to rein in. Now, Gore, what leads you to, to have any faith that they've got the balls to rein in oil? All I said is that the Auditor General should absolutely set her sights on oil co for the same examinations she performed of now Corps 2013 to 18. That's what I said. Not that anyone does or does not have the cojones to do anything about it. Uh, Bruno, appreciate the time. Hope you're doing but, well. I know you had an issue with your surgeon, but I'm off to the break. But you have yourself a nice weekend. Well, thank you, but... Uh, Bruno. Bruno, we always we can't have this dance today, okay? I appreciate your time. All right, thank you. All right, have okay. a good day. You too. Bye bye. All right, let's take that break. When we come back, lots of time for you. Don't go away. Save the date. VOCM's Dial a Carol. Sunday, November 27th, 1 to 6 p.m. on your VOCM. Welcome back. Uh, let's see here. Let's try line number one. Daryl, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. How you doing today? Ooh, not too bad. That's a bit loud, Dave. Okay, there we go. Go ahead, Daryl. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, thanks, uh, Patty. Uh, well, what I'm calling about today, Patty, I'm going to talk about inflation. And I'd like to let your listening audience know that uh, 8.30 tonight at Marketplace, they're going to be uh, talking about inflation in depth and all different types and the costs. So it should be very interesting to watch. So I'll be on CBC tonight, Marketplace, at 8.30, which should be worthwhile tuning into. But, uh, Patty, I want to talk about inflation and uh, where there's no way inflation is going to go down until the cost of everything else goes down. And by putting interest rates up, it's not going to bring down inflation. And and well. when we look at when we look at it, I know everybody got different opinions on it. But uh, what what's going to happen is that uh, you know people are going to be uh, you're putting people on hard times, and the the economy is not going to generate properly because when you look at in actual essence, when the interest rates were low, uh, when interest rates were low and everything else. The, the idea was to jumpstart the housing market, uh, get small business boom and whatever. So now they're doing the, the exact opposite, and you're going to be putting people out of business. Uh, business is not going to survive the costs. And like I said, there's going to be 2 million uh, mortgages up for renewal within the next 12 months in Canada alone. So what's going to happen there? So uh, we're into a hard situation. Yeah, the Bank of Canada does have some levers they can pull. I don't pretend to be some sort of expert in inflationary pressures. The experts in the field, I think there's a pretty serious cons- uh, consensus that interest rates are part of the conversation, but the lag between the hike in an interest rate and an actual impact on inflation could be 18 to 24 months. So I think you're right. The perfect storm of, you know, the wages not keeping up with inflation or the consumer price index, the, the mortgages, the level of consumer debt that Canadians hold, with the interest rates going up, that does not help. But it's the political rhetoric surrounding inflation, which has really derailed any careful examination of what's going on. So in large part, the people that I read, who I think know what they're talking about, you know, the hypercharged housing market in parts of the country, the energy sector, and yes, supply chains matter. For instance, there was a huge uh, shortage in car parts. And what happened there drove the price up. That's what happens when you have a shortage in whether it be uh, interruptions in the global supply chain or the war or in Ukraine or car parts or the energy sector or the housing sector. I mean, it all plays a role. Yes, and government government policy and how much money was spent by the government, but we just focus in on little key things that politicians are trying to make hay on, other than the fact that it's extremely complicated and it has a variety of inputs that are causing inflation. We don't have to look any further than inflation rates in other developed modern countries in the world. So, you know, politicians derail the conversation as opposed to try to address what we can do. Like shoring up domestic production for 
some issues that can help control inflationary pressures. But no, and yes, corporate profits. I mean, I saw this morning, Loblaws had a corporate profit in Q3 of, I got, I wrote it down here, $556 million in profit in the third quarter. So they all play a role, you know, but if we're just going to call it just inflation, we're never going to tackle all the contributing factors. Anyway, I'll leave no, it to you. No, 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 Patty, you're right in what you're saying there. I, I agree with all that. But, and when you look at what really triggered all this off, when we had to shut down in 2020, and and the economists have come out and said that, especially one out of uh, BC, I can't remember his name, last name was Stanford or something like that. But uh, but that triggered it off when we had that shutdown, and 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 business had rebound since, and and this is what triggered off the inflation as well. So that was that was the start of everything, and there's just combination of things going on in the world as well, and uh, there's always like this or that, and whatever. But what I can never figure out how gas could go up one day, down the next, up and down like a yo-yo, and and and, and you got the same inventory. And you know, and they're basing it on, uh, and they're basing it on uh, like markets. But when we got the inventory already bought and paid for, how can you up and down uh, prices based on what you probably paid for it when you originally had it imported or whatever the case may be? I don't get that one. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think anybody really truly understands how the PUB approaches this issue. You know, gas up one day, down the next day, stove oil down 28 cents today, gas down 9 point odd, diesel down almost 5. I don't know where it ends, though, either. All I know is we're paying an awful lot for any of those potential products. Uh, I appreciate the time, Daryl. I'm going to get another one on before we go to the break. Okay, again, Patty, I'd like to reiterate that uh, your listening audience, tune into Marketplace tonight on CBC at 830. They're going to be talking about different types of inflation. <laughs> and uh, I caught my attention. It's going to be uh, very interesting to uh, watch. Enjoy the show. Okay, thanks, Patty. Yeah. All the best to you. You too, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Okay, let's keep going here. Let's go to line number four, I think, today. But said, uh, Catherine, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you on this beautiful day? I'm doing very well, thanks. How about you? I'm doing good, thank you. Um, Patty, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about today. Okay. One is I want to start with um, there's a 64-year-old who, unfortunately, right now, um, her three-year-old um, granddaughter, um, who has a disability, is in her care, and she has... A 20-year-old that's in third-year engineering, um, and like any good parent, um, as you know, is trying to do her best to help him as well, even though he's um, doing well with uh, uh, scholarships and things like that, so that's great. But she needs, she's going through a difficult time right now and really needs like one or two gift cards to help um, with getting some food for mostly the child. The child has a special diet, and um, she can really use some help right now. She is a part-time teacher. She's uh, cut back on her hours because she did um, gain the care of her granddaughter in September, so she's losing hours because of that, but she's you know more than willing to sacrifice that for the care of her granddaughter. Like you would. So if anybody steps up to want to help, we can certainly connect you with uh, the kind-hearted folks who may indeed give us a shout, say they're willing to offer you a little bit of help. Okay. That would be awesome. Thank you. Okay. So I just wanted to also um, speak to you for a minute. Um, I just spent a bit of time in hospital. Um, I'm doing okay now. <laughs> um, was serious there for a little while, but... Uh, 
Um, I have to say, I want to send a bouquet out to 4 East at St. Clair's. Um, Their care was phenomenal. Um, I have spent half my life in hospital, and it is the best care that I ever got in my life. Um, All the staff were just absolutely amazing. Now, I say that with, um, as a secret, I guess, to the other issue. We've heard a lot from Western now, um, but Patty, I saw things that I've never seen in my life at the hospital in so many ways. One is you look at the nurses in the hallways. They have been mandated to work overtime or they're working double shifts. And I'm looking and said, you still here? Yeah. I'm just listening. Nobody to come in. Oh. All right. No, no, I meant. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were asking that's me. What I, no, that's okay. That's what I would say to them. Like, my goodness, you still here? And they're like, yeah, like we're trying to get someone to come in. Um, but they were short-staffed. They were tired. You could see on their faces in the hallways that they were tired. But yet, as soon as they left the hallway and went into a patient's room, they left that at the door. And they still continued to put a smile on their face and to help their patients in any way that needed. And it was just amazing to see that in spite of all that they were going through. And it wasn't just that, Patty. The nurses at the West uh, Western Health are right. They're, I've seen nurses being groped by patients. Nothing they can do. Um, there was a lot of stuff going, in the ho- going on in the hospital with patients harassing other patients. There was um, exchanges of drugs right down in the main door um, in front of the public, like in front of everybody. And security is very limited. They can't do anything. They have nothing to protect themselves or others. The police come, and it's not a priority for them. They ask people to move on or talk to people, patients or whatever, and then that's it. Um, So... Uh, Patty, I mean, it, our system is broken in so many ways. We have so many problems. I don't know how it's ever going to get fixed. Well, I mean, for every complaint, there's a story out there where someone says that they got the kind of care that they yeah. deserve and require, and that's the good news. You know, it's sometimes difficult yeah. getting in the system, and we know about wait times and access to a family doctor, all of those things we talk about all the time. But yeah. more often than not, once people are in the system and get a bit of help navigating the system, they get the kind of care they need. And that's the Absolutely. good news. But the system is obviously broken. If Stats Canada says in 2021 there was more overtime work by healthcare workers than in over a decade, if Western Health paid $300,000 in overtime on one unit in the Western Regional Hospital, obviously there's a problem. I don't even know what the solution is. I know government has a bunch of, a full suite of incentives to bring people home or to hire more, to move nurses from casual to permanent full time. 
but they're only feeling like band-aids to a you know repairing a system that obviously had incredible intentions when first designed as universal health care but over the course of the last number of years or decades we're seeing that it's just not working the way it's supposed to and i know the federal government will always deflect and say it was provincial responsibility but i think the feds have a role to play here as well to be honest with you so if they entertained an exercise like we have here with a health accord a 10-year transition a bit of guidance for the provinces we could probably fix a system that has a good design but there's some flaws in it and there's some gremlins in the matrix that are really pushing people further and further from the system and things are getting worse positive health care outcomes are not what they should be with the amount of money we spend period i'll give you the last word Catherine. yeah no i just want to say like i mean one of the issues um in the evenings on the unit was there's no clerks so there's no one the phones are constant like constant constant um whether it's from emergency department um a resident a doctor someone else in the hospital or family calling in about their loved ones and the nurses are expected to do their work on the floor with their patients and still run down the hallway to try and catch a phone call um that's an issue um and the nurses are tired like i said and that's the big issue they they need to go home they need sleep they need breaks they need more help all around and uh you know i hope the government finds a long-term solution to help because the care like i said in spite of all that the care that we got was phenomenal good news that's the good yeah, news in this I, conversation and it's okay to the um i've been with the ent clinic um at Peyton street the team over there and there's only a few of them and they have clinics at the hospital as well and that's the floor i was on and i just want to say that the all the doctors at the ent clinics are amazing as well so i want to send a thank you out for their care over the years as well. I'm sure and they Patty, appreciate thank it. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. You take good care. You too. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, break time. When we come back, Bernie's in the queue. Bernie lost her property in Fiona. We'll speak with Bernie Short right after this. Don't go away. Right, welcome back to the show. Let us go to line number six. Good morning, Bernie Short. You're on the air. I'm caller, but I've been listening to Open Line for years. Well, I'm glad you made time for us this morning. I'm calling about my property that Fiona destroyed in Cape Ray, which is a part of the southwest coast. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have to get it destroyed my summer home I had there. It destroyed my cabin. It took away three quarters of my land. I have nothing left there. I can't get any answers from anybody. We've been talking to Chris Power. We've been talking to Andrew Parsons. I registered with the Red Cross. I went to, went to St. Christopher's Hotel, spoke with the Red Cross. Nobody seems to give, can give you a straight answer. I am a senior. I recently became a widow, which I'm still trying to get over, which I never will, because I am one of the best men in the world. And here I am now with all this debris up there. 
in Cateway as a community as well as the other places. Mm-hmm. I am so hurt over the other people who lost homes. I'm sitting here in my kitchen right now watching my cousin remove stuff from my sister's home that have to be torn down. It's not pretty to watch. And you know what? I cannot afford to get a construction company to take that down, which a construction company have offered to help me. Thank God there's still some good people. And But I can't afford to pay $1,400 to carry a load of stuff to the dump. I cannot do it. So, a couple of quick things. Right off the bat, I'm so sorry to hear that you lost your husband. My condolences to you, Bernie. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the loss that you suffered with Fiona, are you, have you been told that you're simply ineligible for any support, or you just don't know, you can't get an answer? I just don't know. And, I mean, they had a meeting on Tuesday night yep. in Portobello that I was going to attend. When my son came home, he was going to go with me, because uh, thank God I have a good family. And uh, he said, Mom, there's not going to be much point for us to go up there. I'll show you the mayor's post. One of the things he stressed, the cabins would not be of concern. I put 47 years, me and my husband, of blood, sweat, and tears and money there. We loved every second we were there. I had so many people, tourists, because I'm out towards the lighthouse, who would drop by and tell me, you know what? People will give a million dollars for the view you have here. And I said, of course they would. We sat down so many times, me and my husband, and I used to say to him, my dear, this is so close to heaven as you're ever going to get. It's so peaceful here. We'd watch the ocean. Never in my wildest dreams did I dream the ocean would take it away from me. The visuals are still, I'll say, haunting. Uh, I couldn't believe what I was watching that Saturday afternoon. So, Bernie, is it as simple as, just based on what you just told me, that if it's not your primary residence, summer homes or cabins or cottages just won't be covered in full? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, You know... But, I mean, what's the difference? I spent six months of the year in that community. I was a part of that community. I don't want to leave that mess and debris in that community. I was talking to the lady who we paid a local service fee to, and she told me, I said, I feel so hurt. I feel so bad. I've never, if a piece of paper dropped on my property, I picked it up. I said, but she said, it's not your fault. Fiona did it. I said, but I don't want debris to fly from that. The winter's coming on and hurt someone or beat up someone's vehicle that I'm not able to pay for. I'm a senior. I'm a widow. And I said, I had my taxes done this year in July. The government reviewed it. They took $600 a month from me, which is $7,200 a year, because I was getting over $19,000 a year. They can't live on it. They expect us to do it. Bernie, so I'm trying to survive. Uh, of course, I understand. Uh, did you actually speak with Minister Parsons or his someone in his office? My daughter-in-law did. The only person we have heard from, my son sent a text message to uh, the mayor of Portobello, Brian, which is doing a fabulous job here, and he is a wonderful man. I've known Brian since he was a baby. 
and and a matter of fact, we're related. We're family related. And he was the only guy that got back to us and said that was one of the things that would be brought up in the meeting. I don't know if it was. I couldn't go because it was not supposed to be mentioned. He was going to ask the question about it. I don't know if he did. But, like, he was the only one that, and like he said, I know he told my son, your mom's property meant so much to her as the rest of the people. There's not hardly, there's not very many families in Portobello who don't have a summer home somewhere. And I've been there 47 years. I, we saw many of storms. And if my husband, God love him, was still here, he would, we would have been there. Because he would have said, hey, don't worry about that. We've seen so many storms, which we did. But we never lost a thing. We went up there on Thursday evening. My son took an evening off work. Me and my son and grandson went up. Everything I had outside, outside furniture and stuff, we packed everything in our shed, my shed, so nothing would blow up and damage somebody else's property. I have friends from Toronto who have lost theirs, friends from Nova Scotia who have lost theirs. My neighbor next to me up there has lost his. We can't get nothing from nobody. We don't know if we should go up and tear it down, if we should burn it, or what we should do with it. And that I don't want to do. It breaks my heart to go there and see what I had and what I have now. I, I don't have the heart to do anything with it. I understand. I'll tell I you what. I need help from somebody. What I'm going to do is get clarification from whether it be uh, Mayor Button, who I agree has been doing a tremendous job. Uh, Dave, can we send an email to both uh, Mayor Button and to the uh, uh, Minister Parsons office to get a distinct clarification about summer homes? You know, if it's not your primary residence, any coverage. So I'm going to do that, Bernie. And yeah. I'll, I'll talk about it on the show when we get an answer. And if I have any more information for you or there's someone in the area that's willing to help in cleaning up that debris, uh, we'll, I'll call you back personally, but I'm going to get an answer on the on the summer home coverage. In addition, we're asking for the Red Cross to give us a firm accounting of how all the donation money is being spent, because right. this might be a place where the, some of that money, because there's millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars have been donated to help the cause on the Southwest Coast, so I'm going to do those three things. Contact Mayor Button, contact Minister Parsons, contact the Red Cross, and see if I can get you some answers right away. Well, Patty, I registered with the Red Cross. Yep. I went to St. Christopher's Hotel, and I talked with the Red Cross. I mean, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything that was required. And, I mean, my property was destroyed by Fiona, as well as everybody else's. And okay. you know what? Well, I didn't put that there for nothing. We put 47 years of blood, sweat, labor, and money in it. Yes, ma'am. And we loved it there. Bernie, I'm going to try to get you some answers. I, um, thank you so much, Patty. I don't, I said, well, I, you know what? I have to call Patty. I've been listening to Talkback so many years, and I've talked to people in Cape Ray. Everybody feels so bad because of the beautiful spot I had there. My son lives in St. John's. He's going to retire in two years. He had the intentions of coming back to Cape Ray and building a house on my property. He, he can't pitch a tent there now because the ocean took it. Bernie, I'm going to see what I can find out for you. Okay, Patty, thank you so much. My pleasure, and once again, my condolences on your loss. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Bernie. Bye-bye. Great, bye-bye. So we'll do those three things. Look, it's important. 
people stepped up to the plate and made those donations, whether it be the We Stand on Guard Again concert or just individuals or businesses that made donations to try to help on the Southwest Coast. There is absolutely millions of dollars. And this is on top of the $30 million the province is putting forward for housing compensation. We do need the Red Cross to help us understand exactly how that money is being spent. Now, I think the Red Cross is a tremendous organization. Of course they are. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a better understanding of how that money is being spent. For instance, specific circumstances like Bernie faces. Does that fall within the purview of not inside the province's support, but in the Canadian Red Cross's support? So those three things we're going to try to do for Bernie. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Uh, welcome back. You said seven, Dave? Just to make sure I'm on the right track. Let's go. Line number seven, Charlie, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning. we got a beautiful morning out here this morning for, for November. Yeah, not too bad in town. It's coming and going gray and blue, but not bad. As long as we see the sun, right? Yep. Patty, um, just so before I start my, t- my uh, main topic, the, have you heard of a place called Skinwalker Ranch in Utah? No. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it some time ago on, on, on the History Channel, but I did some digging, and um, I'm reading a book on it right now. I would suggest if anybody would like to uh, see something strange uh, going on, a scientific team is there now investigating. They had one there for seven years before that. That's how, uh, how strong the, uh, the stuff is. But anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So it's a, it's a really, really fascinating story, Skinwalker Ranch. So I'm, I'm recommending that to anybody out there who's interested in, uh, in uh, uh, what do you call glowing balls and mutilated cattle and whatever. <laughs> I'll give it a look. Skinwalker Ranch. I won't forget the name anyway. No, that's right. <laughs> Just uh, uh, two or three things now. The the Nalcor thing, I'd, I'd like to express my uh, 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 disgust with, with, with that as well as your other callers. Uh, it seems like they set their own salary structure in there. Uh, am I right on that, the board of directors or whatever? Yeah, well, between the requests by senior managers, executives, and yes, the board of directors, given that there was an order on council signed that allowed them to do it, they did it. Yeah, and so no, the only oversight they had was uh, themselves. Pretty much. And this is what we get as a result. So they, they, they paid themselves enormous funds, bonuses and everything, for a project that's going to cost us for generations. Uh, 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 the outrage, it, it's beyond outrage, right? <laughs> if they had been effective, if, if they had come in on, on, on budget and, and uh, we had the thing rolling in that, we might have been able to overlook that to some degree. But to have both of it happening at the one time, it's, 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 it's a little bit much to ask a taxpayer to take, don't you think? You know, I mean, it's a lot too much. Yeah. Patty, um, guns for Jesus. I don't know if you've seen, uh, I, I heard a couple of uh, your callers. One said, uh, we should have a Trump back here. And the other one said, uh, hope Trump gets back in. You know, I guess I find it very hard uh, 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 the way people size up things. I don't know if they don't look into things and just mouth off or whatever. But there's a whole group of people out there who, 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 who can pose with a gun and pose with a poster of Jesus. And Jesus' message, of course, was uh, love, forgiveness, and peace. And they can somehow square that. I, I, I guess they have to turn themselves into a lot of pretzel-like shapes to, uh, to square those two things. And then they say, well... Abortion. I'm, I'm, I'm for the Republicans or Trump because of abortion. 
Now, as far as I know, abortion wasn't mentioned in, 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 in the word of Jesus. But if you can go with one thing and say, and ignore all the other things, like peace, love, and forgiveness, it seems like to me you're turning the message of Jesus upside down, and you're really not thinking about what you're saying. What would you say on that? Well, I mean, look, the... I'll never be able to wrap my mind around the, for instance, evangelical support for the former president. I just don't get it. I guess they all have the same things that they dislike and or hate, and they all have the same agenda politically. So they're willing to overlook an awful lot of stuff to have people in power that side with them on social issues or conservative values or whatever they like to pretend it is. But it's it's a head scratcher. I can't make heads or tails of American politics anyway, to be honest. And those same people, as far as I look around Newfoundland, and I see a lot of the old line churches are losing membership fast, but not not in the uh, the evangelistic Pentecostal type uh, religions. There, they, they they seem to hold the congregation or even grow. And their message is, if you listen to it closely, it's you better be born again, or you will be uh, uh, condemned to hell. Now that's a message of fear. As far as I know, from what I've read again in the Bible, that uh, 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 they said to forgive seven times seven times seven. That would be the message of Christ. But if you don't somehow adopt that thing about being born again, not only uh, 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 instead of taking you out, instead of ignoring you that God could, could do and just leaving you by the wayside, he won't be satisfied till he tortures you for the rest of infinity in hell. Can you can you can you believe this day and age there are still still people promoting that and there are still people believing that? Well, yes, I can because I can see it. I can believe it's happening. I can't understand it, but I see it happening. So, yeah. Anyway, did you want to get to something else before we uh, run out of time, Charlie? not too fussy on the religion thing, right? I'm not too fussy on the religion thing. I have to say, I can only say so many times, I just don't get it. I don't understand the relationship between that particular American party and religious organizations. They, they seem to be willing to vote for things against their own wants and their own agendas. I just do not understand it, so I'm not sure what else you want me to say about it. Okay, no, that's, that's fine, that's fine. I'd like to mention uh, the, the drought in the States they say is directly related to uh, the price of lettuce in Newfoundland. Would you agree with that? Well, certainly, you know, and someone said to me already this morning that, well, if we can't get it from California, let's get it somewhere else. I don't think anything's quite as simple as that, like most things in this world. If we have contractual relationships between the buyers and the grocery store chains with producers in California, if there's a drought, of course there's going to be a shortage that is not going to be able to be overcome by just by turning to a different uh, producer. I don't think it's that simple. But between that and some blight or some something else that's been growing on the lettuce products in, in California and surrounding area. I guess both contribute to the shortage and then consequently the price. Head of romaine, 10 bucks. Oh my God. Sorry. Yeah, that's about it. Go. If if anybody looks at at the southwest uh, of the United States, which is where we get a a lot of our produce, their water table levels are gone down the aquifers, they call them. Gone down like you wouldn't believe, like 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 the Colorado River is. I, I, I guess everybody's seen pictures of the uh, uh, the way it used to be, uh, several feet above where it is now. I get a lot of stuff like, what has that got to do with me when you refer to, say, a war in Ukraine or a climate change or any of this stuff? 
And I think it's only now we're, we're, we're realizing that we can get away from living in this global village, that what affects the rainforest, what affects the southwest of the United States, what affects in, in Ukraine, comes back to haunt us in the way of higher prices, uh, shortage of food, or whatever. So I wish people would probably try to get more of a global view of things rather than living in, I've called it many, many times, this bloody bubble that some people want to, want to stay in, you know. We're a highly connected world. I mean, just look at some of the stories about Lake Mead, for instance. There's bodies appearing as the lake dries up. I mean, it's truly amazing. Look at pictures of the Colorado River. It's unbelievable. Some of the aquifers in California are bone dry. So, yes, and it does have an impact. It's not just for Californians. It's for everyone does, does, that does any business with California. Fifth largest economy in the world, number one. Secondly, one of the key producers of some of the fruits and vegetables that we import to this country, California, Mexico, and others. So yes, what happens elsewhere, whether or not we want to acknowledge it, does have an impact on how we live our lives and the prices we pay in this country. It just does. You know, you know. It's, and this is not all Russia, 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 China, China, China. Things just have impact and ripple effects that are felt far and wide on the global scene. It's just the reality. No matter how many people would like to ignore it, that's just seems to be the fact. And, 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 and j- j- just to add a local effect, the lobster fishery on the south uh, coast and on the, uh, the uh, west coast has been great these days, and I believe, and many others do, that it's the warming of the water, which is fine. That's a plus. Supposing the warming of the water, we're not supposing, it is happening, uh, 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 one or two or three degrees or whatever, supposing the cod stocks decide to, to, uh, that they can't take that kind of temperature and they want to migrate elsewhere, there's a direct effect on Newfoundland fishermen uh, that might not happen for a year or two years or three years, but, but surely the warming of, 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 of uh, temperatures will affect all these other stocks. There's a direct effect uh, 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 that very likely will take place in the near future. Anyway, that's that's about all I've got this morning, Patty. I appreciate the time, Charlie. Okay, sir. Take good care. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Uh, take Alex here now, David. What do you want me to do here? Yeah, let's go. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Alex Taylor. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. Hi there. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about a Christmas concert fundraiser that I made coming up. Before we get to that, I just want to uh, say to you, congratulations for your concert. I believe this is the right Alex Taylor. The concert you had on the heels of uh, Fiona and raised 900 bucks, if I remember correctly. Yes, thank you so much. Way to go. Okay, this one is a, it's the third annual Marion Bright. Um, and it's going to be going to the Janeway this year. It's on November 25th. It's at 7 p.m. Um, it's at St. Mary's Church on Craig Miller Avenue in St. John's. Okay. And tickets are $10.00. Um, you can call 709-691-4020 or email zeta1724 at gmail.com to get tickets. And, yeah, there's going to be a lot of performers, and I'm going to be playing, and, yeah. You know, I really do appreciate when anybody, especially uh, young people in Newfoundland and Labrador, are willing to give their time and their talent to raise some money and awareness, whether it be Fiona, the Janeway, or otherwise. Why do you do it, Alex? Uh, I love giving back to people and like obviously in these times like everything's going on every everyone's upside down turned around type thing and it's just nice to help everyone everywhere with everything going on 
Yeah, well, good on you. And there's more out there like you. Who's who are you working with to get this off the ground for the third annual? Give us some names. People are helping out. <laughs> okay, well, for a few names, I have Jared Waterman, Mulberry Creek, and a few others, such as one of my band called East Coast Waves joining. And I also have a few, like, obviously my parents and stuff helping me get this off the ground because, you know, it's going to be hard for just solely me to get it up off the ground. So we got performers coming up helping me, got like get basically my staff, and yeah. Well, good on you, Alex. Give the folks the details one more time. I know you can get a ticket at zeta1724 gmail.com. I didn't have a chance to jot down the phone number quickly. So the where are the wins and hows? Okay, so if you'd like to, the phone number, it's 709-691-4020. Okay. It's on November 25th, 7 p.m. at St. Mary's Church, Craig Miller Avenue in St. John's. Keep up the good work, buddy. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right, uh, there we go. Alex Taylor, young people doing good things. So, yeah, raised 900 bucks for Fiona. This year, the choice for the Merry and Bright Christmas concert, the Janeway. Fantastic. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Gary's in the queue to talk about a bridge dedication. Where? We'll find out. And welcome back. Let's go. Line number three, Gary, you're on the air. Good morning, Teddy, and thank you for this opportunity. No problem, Gary. Uh, if you have us on speaker, would you mind taking us off so we can hear you a little clearer? I beg pardon? If we have us on speaker, can you take us off so we can hear you properly? I haven't got you. I, sorry, I just got you on hearing aid. I don't. I think that could be the problem. It's okay, go right ahead. That's better. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, uh, today, uh, we, you know, we, we take this opportunity to thank the two past residents of the Waterford Valley for their tireless commitment and dedication to the maintaining fabulous water, Waterford River. For those who are not familiar with the Waterford River, the Waterford River starts at Birmingham's Pond in Paradise and flows through the three communities of St. John's, Paradise, and Mount Pearl. And ends, of course, in the, in the harbour. Uh, the river was recognised as one of the finest rivers in Canada and is home of the finest breed of brown trout anywhere. The trailways are superb and the environment is fabulous. Today, with the help of Minister Shane and Sir Reagan, Mayor Dave Baker, family, friends, and other officials, we dedicate and rename two of the bridges on the river. Uh, they are, and you're familiar with these, quite familiar. They are longtime Cabinet Minister Neil Windsor and Sandy Roach. Sandy was executive of the Fisheries International Course at one time and also the provincial deputy minister. You know, their foresight, what, 30 years ago? And in attracting flow, which is friends of the lobbyists of the Water River, Grand, Con- Grand Concourse, Conservation Corps, and others, you know, made it possible for us to enjoy a pristine river and the fantastic trailways. And today, we you know, today we welcome friends and families and anyone who's interested in, in the river itself to this uh, ceremony where we name the bridges in their honor. Uh, and it's going to happen at 2.30 in the Shadow Park, you know, the Shadow Park and the Dunn's Road, Dunn Bridge. Yep. We're going to, it's going to start there and we're just going to cross the road there. So we're going to have, like I say, the cabinet minister, the minister, Seamus O'Regan, and all the dignitaries in the area. And it's, 
it's probably long overdue because the work done on the river over the years has been fantastic. There's been thousands and thousands of trees planted which would make the walk absolutely beautiful. And so we found it necessary to come together and do something special for those two people because the work they've done over the, la- over the years has been phenomenal. Two really uh, well-chosen individuals to dedicate the bridges to. Sandy, as you know, is a friend of mine and a friend of the family. And, of course, I, I spent a lot of time with uh, relatives of Sandy Roach and a lot of time in his cabin up in Colnet, as a matter of fact, as well. So uh, I think that's terrific that you've uh, uh, selected Mr. Roach and Mr. Windsor to remember them with dedicating the bridges to them. Terrific. Good news. Yeah, well, you know, I, I really thank you and for this and... Uh, uh, you know, and I'm, all I can say is, uh, you know, our club is, uh, has been very lucky to have such people um, working in the community for the environment and on the mental health uh, issues. So, you know, thank you once again. And uh, maybe when we get our mental health program in place, I can give you a call and fill you in on that. You're welcome to do exactly that. And good luck with it uh, today, Gary. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. You too, Gary. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, Sandy Roach, Neil Windsor, obviously people who did an awful lot in that region and beyond, obviously. Let's go. Line number two. Cy, you're on the air. Morning, Patty. Morning to you. First time caller. Welcome. Patty, we met some years, a couple of years ago, out of the East Link uh, Center here in Clarenville. I think it was at the Herder, the night of the mystery gold. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> What a yeah. night that was. I tell you what, the aftermath. So this is when the CBs beat uh, Clarenville to win the herder. That's right. Yeah. I was standing 200 plus feet away from the goal when, well, I can't remember the goaltender's name now, big guy that they used to fly in. Oh. Uh, Churchill. Ah, Churchill, who was a terrific goaltender. He freaked out right away. You knew there was something potentially wrong, but the aftermath of that goal and that championship, I was getting pummeled <laughs> for days and weeks as if I had something to do with it, when, of course, I did not. I left the rink that day, Si, drove back to St. John's. As soon as I pulled in the driveway, one of my sons came out and said, did you see the video? I'm like, oh, no. And the puck clearly went under the net. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Eddie, we, uh, our seat were right on the goal line, and when Churchill moved to his left, his skate hit the, hit the goal post yeah. and lifted it up. Yeah. And the referee was on the other side of the net. Yeah. And how he didn't, you know, it was, anyway, that's, that's not the reason I called. But anyway, that's a fun, if not interesting memory for me. That's right. <laughs> uh, Eddie, you had uh, Brother Dan on uh, not too long ago talking about uh, uh, turnings. Uh, you know, he's, he's doing great work with that. He's uh, upwards to 30 years with that program since he started. It's amazing. Dan's an excellent fella. You know, I got to know him initially. I, I, I bump into him every now and then. But Dan around Kitty Vitty doing some rowing a couple times in the pub and stuff. Dan's a fine fella and doing exceptionally good work at turnings, no doubt. You didn't see Dan in the pub, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Patty, oh, uh, Patty, actually, the reason I call, I'm co-chair here with our Poppy Trust Fund. We just concluded our Poppy campaign, and prior to our start, my other co-chair, we said, "Boy, I don't know how we're going to do it here. You know, it's uh, uh, price of food, uh, fuel, everything's gone through the roof, right?" So I just want to do a shout out to the Clarenville and area people that donate. It's just phenomenal. I can't believe it. They, they see a poppy tray or they see our, our uh, pioneer, uh, legionnaires at the uh, table in Walmart all dressed in their uniform, and it just draws them to it. We've had years as high as 15,000, 16,000. This year, over 20,000. Incredible. 
and of course these uh, you know this these that money is people's that's people's money you know that goes for uh, to assist uh, veterans and their families we support our local hospital our air cadet program youth education programs bursaries and a lot of others so reason that's just the reason I called uh, we don't have the packet here anymore in Clarenville we do have social media of course but to get it on your airwaves I just wanted to get it out there again for the generous donation from Clarenville and area residents that's the reason I called Patty. terrific good news uh, and keep up the good work I was really discouraged to read a story on the heels of Remembrance Day there was at least 1600 violations of the poppy trademark people selling poppies online and the money was not going to the legion they were breaking the patent that's really discouraging uh, this is terrible it's terrible and just on one last note <coughs> excuse me last year we got a tap machine you can tap two five or ten this year we had it again last year we had like to start 700 bucks or something this year we doubled it with 1400 so it's incredible people come up and say oh god i only got to, you know i don't have any change this that and the other thing we say well if you got a card you can tap oh really bang you know five or ten was absolutely amazing anyway we're doing great with it I'm glad to hear that. You know, the tap has been a big boost for whether it be the Salvation Army and their kettle campaign, and yes, the poppy campaign. It was a necessary move because cash is fleeting. Not everyone carries around cash anymore. Got it, man. All right. Thanks for the call. Good to have you on, Si. Okay, thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. All right, uh, break time. When we come back, the topic, well, that is up to you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the PC member for Conception Bay South. He's the opposition house leader. That's Barry Penton. Good morning, Barry. You're on the air. Uh, Good morning, Patty. How are you? Best kind today. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Patty, I just want to call in and uh, I suppose to reiterate, because I've spoken about this often, and it, uh, it's an important issue and there's still no answers out there. It's, uh, I guess, the conflict of interest allegations that has been <clears throat> directed towards the Premier and I suppose the Liberal Party, really. And one of them being, I guess, the Premier's decided he's not going to uh, provide receipts or more clarity on his trip, and I guess the electorate will have to uh, make the decision on that when the time comes. I mean, we've, we're <laughs> exasperated asking for it, but that's that's entirely up to the Premier and the voters of the province to make that decision. And Petty, and also in that same context, uh, during uh, during some back-and-forth debate and some ATIP, we discovered that the Winmore Torn was left at a cabinet meeting in March of last this year, I think. And uh, during that cabinet meeting, the same day that Mr. Paddock resigned, and have you. So, Mr. Osborne, Minister Osborne, in the last week, at another at another uh, media where it said basically that he checked he wasn't supposed to speak at a cabinet, but he said that wasn't discussed then the Winmore Torn. So. We're left to believe then, then what, what happened? It draws more questions. Like, did the Premier do this himself? Like, was this, a, you know, something that he decides on and he's only he has that prerogative? But again, we don't know that, and there's only another kind of murks the water, is that we don't know, again, what really happened. And they're valid questions, and they've been asked me numerous times, not only by me, but by people in the public as well. And then recently, as, as recently as this week, we're hearing more, like it's a contract given out over to the hospital again. And it's, it's nothing the saying that all of this is wrong. It's the perception. So whether it's real or perceived, we keep saying this, but government and the Premier has done little to nothing to clarify, clear the air. So, I mean, I've never once said you're guilty of anything. I've asked a question, and I've, I've made it clear every time I've done that, and I've told the Premier to him, 
personally. This is not my way of attacking you personally. This is valid questions we have to ask. It's our obligation and the role we all fulfill, whether you're the media and you know, hosting the open line, or whether you're a reporter, whether you're a politician or, or representing a political party. We have questions to ask, and we need answers. And that comes with holding the office that the Premier holds 65 days a year. And, you know, I keep repeating it, and I think it bears repeating, because a lot of people are still asking the questions, Patty. It's not just me. I hear this regularly. And people are kind of astounded that, you know, the Premier and his government continue to go on like this, not, not, nothing to see here type of cliche. Okay. And that's not that's further from the truth. It couldn't be further from the truth. So, let's see. How do I say this? Okay. So, I was not there. I can't afford to go there. <laughs> so I don't know who discussed what. And I don't know what an ethical wall actually really truly means. But if there was ever going to be a conversation between John Risley and Premier Fury, is there a difference in your mind if it happened in his office, in his backyard, out in the parking lot, or in Labrador? Uh no, Patty, you know what? I've said this before. If this happened in the parking lot or happened in his office or happened in his home, uh, that's still not right if, you're, if it's Premier Fury and Investor Risley. If it's Andrew Fury and his best friend and his dad, listen, that's no one's business. The optics of this is who we done it with. Now, the kind of, again, thing comes out there and it complicates it. It was a fishing trip. I've said publicly as well. The fishing trip just highlights it. Well, okay, if this was just for pleasure, show us, you know, show the receipts, show that he, he said it was, he, and his, his words, Patty, it's my dime, my time, full stop. This is the Premier Fury's words. He said, this, so, okay, you said you spent your own personal money on it. Well, provide, provide receipts because we don't feel comfortable with the answers we're getting or lack of answers that you actually did. So if you want to be transparent, and if I know it was me as Premier Pitton, I would be quickly going and getting my visa and blanking out everything and saying, here you go, end of story, now move on. But so it's not. It's about Premier Fury, and it's about billionaire investor, and it's a wind energy project that everything entailed afterwards. So regardless if it was in the parking lot, well, we wouldn't be able to ask for receipts, but we still have a right and every right to ask for this don't seem right and ask for more clarity and what actually are you discussing because the, the optics are just terrible. It's poor judgment. I don't think anyone disputes the fact that you can and should be asking questions of the government at every turn. It's the role of the opposition. Now, opposing for a Opposing sake sometimes get a bit gets a bit tedious, but asking fundamental questions, I don't think anyone thinks there's anything wrong with that. They might not think that one issue or another rises to the level of importance, but that's that's up to the individuals. I don't begrudge asking questions, as you know my position on opposition parties. Okay, let's move on to the. Unless you want to say anything else about that before we talk about the Health Sciences Center. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, so this is always going to be the way. When there's any relationship between a company, an individual, and government, or a, pardon me, a political party with donations, this is going to be the outcome. Once again, we're talking about perception and optics, right? So if we look at the final results of the tender, and Marco, with a reputation, and has done lots of work here in the province, and actually had the lowest bid, where does lie the worry for you? Well, Patty, I think this is the case of if you look back to go, a lot of government, other government projects, and I've talked to various contractors over time, uh, and a lot actually, uh, they're canceling tenders. Like they're they're going, I mean, and valid projects, some valid projects within healthcare, they've canceled them because they're over tender, they're overbid, right? They're, so you got something that was budgeted for ten million and it went to quadrupled. It's, again, we're going into the optics. So you're canceling other tenders when they're, you know, when 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 they're only they're only like a, you know they're only probably five or six million over because it's too expensive. We can't afford it. But yet on this case here, no full steam ahead. We have no choice. We got to move forward. 
I guess it's kind of akin to you're building a new St. Clair's and it's multi probably over a billion dollar investment. Is that really addressing our problems? We've heard this said many times and probably bears repeating. Is that the answer right now? So if we can't afford to do some other valid stuff, but yet we can afford to pay four times, and we're not talking about four million, we're talking about forty million on a project that is that necessary this year? Can it be put off? And then you look at the company who got it. And again, if it's a fair bidding process, who am I to say? But it's just again, Patty, it's the optics. And I know it was someone in the public uh, recently I heard him say in another media, another outlet or whatever media and they said they're baiting in this perception they're baiting in this you know this full you know uh controversy and they're actually baiting in it and i thought that word was kind of key because every announcement being made you question you look around you scratch your head this none of this makes sense and you know you got a donor that a company they only donate to the liberal party and they're they're gobbling up all this work and it may be above board i'm not making none of those you know i'm not making no accusations this is like factual information anyway but it bears repeating it's about the optics but so what's the question though what's the question you're asking though What's the question? Well, yeah. I think the full, and I've come out before on this, I think the full optics of the P3s, how the P3s are, are decided upon, the fairness monitors, how the bidding process happens. You know, no need to look no further than the penitentiary, me and you have talked about many times, about that's been delivered. Now we've got a sole source bidder on that. And I've said this before, the other bidders dropped out because they didn't feel like they could compete with this this, this bidder. And this bidder is winning all of the, all of the it's just all this stinks to high heavens. And no one has come out, Patty, and proud in my mind, and I don't think in the public's mind, and offered a fair explanation of how this file works to alleviate all those concerns. I've yet to hear it. I don't know if you have, but I haven't. I haven't, nor do I know if there was any adjustment made to the package uh, midstream here. I, I, I don't recall, and nor do I understand uh, if anybody knows that information. I'll see what I can find out. But ultimately, Barry, this comes down to one key thing for me. And would you and your party support the long overdue uh, campaign finance reform? Because that's where the optics begin. It, the first report about Marco and Chris Hickman is that he donated to the Liberals and the Liberals only in this past election. I know if you look back, they donated to different parties in past elections. They, they bet on a winner. So would you support and like the idea of doing something about how people and organizations and companies, even from outside the province, can donate so much money to one political party or another? That's where the optics begin. It'd be good for politicians, although it would make more work on the campaign trail, but that's not my problem. But it would be better for taxpayers. That much I know for bloody well, sure. So what about campaign finance reform? Patty, you know what? I think it's not a matter of, sure, it's benefits that people donate to you. We all benefit from as political parties. But I think right now we have no choice but to bring in campaign finance reform. Uh, because if we don't, we're going to continue on down the road. And in my mind, we're looking more and more and more like a banana republic when we see the things and we're hearing what we're hearing. So we have no choice to uh, other than bring in some camp, uh, political finance re- uh, campaign reform. And I think that uh, I don't think it's, uh, there's no choice. So obviously, yes, I agree, Patty. And I think we need to move forward with that. And this will stop these conversations in the future. There'll be someone else criticizing the PC party. We, we don't want that. We don't need it. And if you want to have clean, transparent government, that's the only way around it. To know that the federal setup is better than our provincial setup is kind of maddening. You know, because you would think that the real rot would happen at the federal level with all the hundreds of millions of dollars required to campaign across the country. As opposed to, like, I can be sitting in Halifax and noodling around with donations in this province. It just doesn't make any sense. And the amount of money allowed to be donated by one person, one business or another, or one organization or another, is just not working. It's not working for the politicians, and it's absolutely not working for me. Uh, Barry, appreciate the time. Last word goes to you. 
No, I appreciate your time, Patty, and, uh, you know, you make a lot of good points. And uh, one final point on the donation piece is you have such a small small part of uh, donor, donors in Newfoundland, and they're too close to the centre of government sometimes. So I think your points are well taken, and I, uh, I agree, and I think we need to move forward and uh, sooner rather than later so we don't have these conversations on a regular basis. Appreciate the time, Barry. Thanks, Patty. Bye-bye. That's Barry Patton. He's the PC member for Conception Bay South and also the Opposition House Leader. Break time. When we come back, Kayla's in the queue. She's got a story about housing. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Kayla. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How about you? Oh, I'm doing excellent. Great. Um, well, I... Well, I don't want to talk about housing, but what I want to talk oh. about is my grandfather passed away suddenly on the 18th of October. I'm sorry to hear that. And I got a dog, two cats and a dog. And I had to go with my mom in her apartment building on in, in the area of the village mall, I'll just say. And my dog constantly barks a lot. Um, his name is Teddy. He's two years old. I call the SPCA and Heavenly Creatures, and they only surrender animals because my mom's waiting to go into a housing unit, and I need someone to take care of them until my mom gets a housing unit. Because where you are now, you're not allowed to have a dog. Am I understanding this properly? Yeah, um, well, you're allowed to have a dog, but he barks constantly, and there's people complaining about him. Oh, okay. I don't know if that makes it easier for someone to want to take it on. So you need someone to foster the pet, whether it be an organization Until, or a family or whatever. I got because yeah, because I got autism, and I want him back when my mom gets a housing unit. Okay, where did you, where did you get the dog in the first place? Is it a rescue, or you had it since a puppy? I had it since it was a puppy. My friend's mom found a dog from my friend out in Placentia. Her mom's friend heard the dog was having puppies, and she gave and I wanted a puppy for my birthday for that year in twenty back in twenty twenty. So, um, she found it and Nana Pop paid for it and gave me um and gave me it as a birthday gift for my birthday nice what kind of dog is it not sure what kind of dog but his name is teddy he's two years old and me and my mom are really in a situation since my grandfather died suddenly well, I sure hope we can get you some help. So, a lovable little two-year-old mutt. And a mutt's not an insult. Well, I've had many a mutt dog over the years. <laughs> well, that's funny. And my pop always listened to your show, and he loved it. And you're an awesome person. I appreciate that kind word, Kayla. Thank you very much. So, you're on the spectrum. Are you still in school? Are you school age? I'm not in school now. I'm 23. Okay. And what are you doing? Just going out with my respite workers and hanging out with them and having fun with them. I'm glad to hear all of that. So, And you have two cats as well. Did I hear you say that? Oh, I got two cats of my own, and my mom got two cats of her own. So you got a busy household. Yay, we got a busy two-bedroom apartment. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so Teddy's two years old and a lovable little mutt that Kayla absolutely wants to have back when you're uh, able to find uh, 
more appropriate okay. housing. So do you have any idea how long that's going to take? Um, not, I don't, we don't know. There's Stella Circle is helping my mother. Okay. Along with housing, with housing too. Stella Circle is helping my mother. And what they're saying, we should be in the house after Christmas. Okay, well, fingers crossed it happens as soon as possible. And if anybody wants to uh, help out and to take care of Teddy for a little bit while this all unfolds, do you want them to call you? Do you want them to call me? What would you want to do? Call, well, call you and I'll leave my number with you. Okay, David has your number. Okay, well, perfect. Okay, Kayla, we'll take care of it the best we can. Yes, thank you. Do you want me to put her on hold, Dave? Is that what you're saying? Because I can't hear you. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, the question from one of the listeners is, how big is Teddy? Mm, how big is Teddy? Yeah. Um, I will, do you got a, do you got a um, email I can send you a picture of Teddy? Absolutely. My email address is an easy one. It's openline at vocm.com. Yep. Okay, thank you. What I'm going to do now, David wants to speak to you again, so I'm going to put you on hold. You send me a picture of Teddy, and then we'll give that information to whoever just called. Okay, yeah, thank you. You're welcome. There you go, Kayla. Kayla's on hold. David can uh, talk with her. Will I take another one now before the uh, newscast? Yes, why not, boy? Uh, let's go. Line number two, say good morning to Paul Toomey. He's the executive director at the Eating Disorder Foundation. Paul, you're on the air. Hi, Paul. It's Michael. Uh, Paul Tomey, are you there? Line two? Putting Paul on hold. <laughs> Always my fave. All right, quick check on the Twitter box. I'm not so sure what's going on with Twitter. I don't see it acting or behaving much different than it did prior to being taken over by Mr. Musk. I do see the stories where an awful lot of his team have just left. The mass exodus yesterday apparently was very real. So I don't know what the future holds for it, but we're still there. Wherever you see open line, you can follow us along, make suggestions on the fly with whatever you're hearing. Maybe even suggest topics that might be of interest to other listeners because... It's hard for me to know exactly what everyone wants to talk about or call about, but if you can help on that front, you can do it on the Twitter box. Our email address is openlinefeosim.com, and Kayla's going to send us an email so we can have a look at Teddy and maybe find a home while the family tries to find a more appropriate space for all the animals that they have. Let's take a break. Hopefully Mr. Toomey is still there in the queue when we return, and Michael's got an issue about uh, trying to travel for a court date. Then we'll speak with you. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Let's try again. Line number one, say good morning to the executive director at the Eating Disorder Foundation, Paul Toomey. Paul, you're on the air. I'm here. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, thanks, Patty, for taking my call this morning. Problem. Uh, I've got uh, just a couple of quick things to, to, to talk about, and um, I'll also talk about one project that uh, we're working on um, uh, that hopefully will support uh, a lot of families across the province uh, over over the next uh, next while. Uh, the main reason for calling this morning is to talk about uh, two fundraisers that we've uh, either just kicked off or are kicking off uh, on Monday. The one that we're kicking off on Monday is our, um, I guess it'll be our second annual now, Santa's Little Helper Online Auction. 
Uh, and of course, all proceeds are donated to foundation. I understand we've got about 80 items available on the auction. Everything from uh, Molson product to um, gift cards for a variety of restaurants uh, around the city, and pretty much everything in between. Uh, the auction link is going to be posted on our Facebook, Twitter, and our website, our website being edfnl.ca. It's going to start at 12 noon on November 21st, and the auction will close on midnight on December the 4th. And uh, the highest bidder will win in all cases, and uh, we'd love to have your support. It was a great fundraiser for us yesterday to uh, to end off the uh, the year, and we, we look forward to uh, seeing a lot of people and a lot of activity on the website. Uh, the second one, again, is a, a second annual, our Christmas Flyaway Sweep. We have uh, two economy class tickets, compliments of Air Canada, that are uh, for all scheduled destinations in North America, including Hawaii, Mexico, and the Caribbean, plus a one-night stay at the Comfort Inn in St. John's, approximate value is $3,000. We have uh, 149 tickets only, and they're $49 each, and they can be purchased by calling our office. 722-0500 or uh, contact us through our website. So those are the two fundraisers that are that are ongoing and uh, a great way for us to end off the year with two Christmas related fundraisers. I think it's awesome. A uh, quick question, how'd the bingo season go? Um, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> We didn't have a great year this year, Patty. We uh, we we did break even, uh, but we we didn't make very much money. And I I think it was a function of uh, people the great weather. People had lots of other things to do, and I think the economy probably had an impact. Uh, the gas and getting there, and um, that, that discretionary dollars might not have been around. Uh, we haven't decided what we're going to do next year if we're going to try it again or not. But um, it it was a fun event. Uh, our volunteers and our staff. Thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can get enough people to say, "Hey, you really need to go with it again." And uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly open to giving it a try one more time. Yeah, there's so much push and pull throughout the the summer season. You know, there's a lot of organizations doing everything they can to try to raise money and awareness. But you're right, the weather made it really tricky for a lot of groups this past summer. That's I the good news yeah. for us, but the bad news for you, I suppose, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that that's that's true. But uh, again. The positive. Uh, at the end of the day, we we didn't lose any money, and obviously it gave us a chance over a 15-week period to create a whole bunch of awareness about who we are and uh, what eating disorders are all about. And on that note, the one project that uh, I, we're taking into 2023 is trying to find ways to help support all the family doctors out across this province to have enough information on eating disorders to, number one, understand how to, to diagnose, treat, and also refer, because we have some great provincial programs in this province that support people with eating disorders, from our outpatient program at Hope to our inpatient program, which is currently housed at the at the Health Sciences Center uh, with four beds. And these programs are extremely important. They provide great supports for individuals. And then, of course, 
there's our programs, the programs that help support families. And we're really looking forward to being able to carry that forward, to work with the family doctors and make sure they're better equipped to be able to be the first line of contact for many, many people. Appreciate this and good luck with the auction. Yeah, yeah thanks, Patty. Can I put in one more little personal plug? Sure. Uh, as you know, uh, I own a retail business at, at the Avalon Mall. And we've just kicked off for our 23rd year our um, Happy Tree fundraiser. We've been doing this for 22 years now. We've got some uh, autographed items that the NHL provided. Um, we're selling tickets for a dollar each. And uh, at the end of the day, every cent of the proceeds from that, those ticket sweeps will go to the Happy Tree. I'm really happy to say that in the 22 previous years, we've probably put 35 between thirty-five and forty thousand dollars over to the Happy Tree, and I'm excited to be doing it again this year. And we appreciate that support from everyone at VOCM Cares. Good luck with it, and thanks for doing it, Paul. Thanks, Patty. Have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right, bye. Bye. It's Paul Toomey, Executive Director at the Eating Disorder Foundation. And if you're interested in seeing uh, Happy Wake Up, it's tomorrow morning at nine thirty at the Avalon Mall. Let's go to line number two, Michael. You're on the air. Yes. Good morning, sir. Morning to you. I'm calling you from Calgary because I'm up in Calgary dealing with a rare genetic brain disease. I'm unable to travel and fly. And after reaching out to the Crown Prosecutor in Newfoundland, the courts, MHAs, nobody uh, thinks this to give me a call back. So I don't know what to do. So I'll be in court in Harbor Race next Wednesday. Unable to travel because I have a brain condition. And nobody in Newfoundland, the justice system, the government has reached out to me. I've returned, I've made numbers of phone calls, and I think it's crazy how the justice system in Newfoundland is treating me. And the doctors up here are telling me stress is the worst possible thing. We've been dragging this thing out for two years. I can't get home. I only thought I would be home to prove my name right. And false accusations against me, but next week when I'm not show up in Newfoundland, and I'm actually sending them the, the legal documentation, the doctor's notes and stuff. And then I'm going to be, my face be paying the cross, oh, court date, he skips court date. It's not that I skip my court date. It's I can't be there because of medical condition. And why is the people of Newfoundland, the, the court systems, anybody not returning my phone calls? Uh, excellent question. I don't know why, but if you have all of the documentation that proves that your recommendation from your doctor is you cannot fly, then that should be enough to get you an opportunity to uh, present yourself via Zoom or whatever the case may be, because we see inmates, for instance, right here at Her Majesty's Penitentiary appearing in court on a on closed circuit. And, you know, uh, I never even had the right, because they said I was trying to drag it out. I'm dealing with a very, I'm in and out of the hospital. I just got out of the hospital last night and dealing with a very complex medical condition. And uh, the economy stress is the worst possible thing. And all this in Newfoundland, nobody getting back to, back to me or nothing. I can't even, you know, can't get no satisfaction. Do you have a lawyer? I do. No, I'm not even working right now. I'm hardly working. And there's a lawyer in Newfoundland calling by legal aid and right to a trial date. I never had the opportunity to legal representation, not to even speak to somebody right away, right to a trial. And the justice system in Newfoundland and the RCMP of Harbor Grace are terrible. I'm up here dealing, I don't even know when I wake up in the morning, if I'm going to wake up when I go to bed in the nighttime. Michael, so uh, 
was the answer yes or no to having a lawyer? No. I don't. I can't afford one. I got legal aid, and she hasn't even she phoned me once in two months ago. She said, oh, I was not going to come to this, and not going to come to this. I said, I don't want me, my, myself, to be made out to be a criminal. I can't get home because of medical conditions. Right, I got that part. Oh. So uh, have you tried to call her to petition the court on your behalf? Because that's absolutely her job. Oh, oh but you don't return my calls. I called the MHA and Carbonier two days ago again because I wasn't getting no satisfaction from them. From the legal aid department, NHL, we'll get somebody, we'll get someone. I tried to call a parent prosecutor in um, a lanky place where they had ever wrote down there and repeatedly phone and it goes right to answer machine, answer machine, leave my number, nobody gets back to me. The next week when I don't show up, they'll put it across or put my picture in a class EOCM website, whatever the case may be. I skipped my court date. I did not skip my court date. I cannot get home. My mom just had like uh, cancer removed. I, would, I could get home. I would get home for that. But I cannot travel. And the way that the justice system, the people, the way that the people in the Newfoundland justice system is treating me, no one is returning my calls. Nobody. I'm dealing with a rare genetic brain disease. I have nerve damage to my neck and everything from all, all the surgeries I'm not going to have to get them done. Okay, so if someone either at Legal Aid or the Department of Justice is listening to this call, and surely there is, can we see if you can just even call Michael back to see if we can start the process, delay that court date so that we can evaluate whether or not there can be some accommodations made through closed circuit or Zoom or legal representation without Michael being in the courtroom? So hopefully someone's listening to this story, and they'll probably know who you are if you've left repeated uh, phone messages for them. But uh, other than that, I wouldn't really know what to do for you, Michael. Myself, personally, I've been dealing with this two years in the courts, and I'm sending letters to the courts for two years now, and they still keep pushing it, and I don't know why, but I'm up here. I don't even know if I ever get to see Newfoundland again. I can't. I had to give up my job because I can't travel through the mountains and stuff because of the pressure on my brain. Okay. And I cannot fly. I'm going to give you another number. And see if they can do something on your behalf. This is the Public Legal Information Association of the province. They're a pretty helpful group. So, do you have a pen and paper handy? Just one second, sir. I'll definitely write it down. And, and even when I spoke to the Crown prosecutor, that the Crown, the legal way, all we'll see to it that this is not going to happen. A week away, four months ago, and I never heard from her since. Okay. Take down this number and see if they can give you any legal advice or point you in the right direction to get this satisfied before the Wednesday court date comes. So it's, of course, area code 709. Yes. 722. 722, yeah. 26. Yeah. 43. 2643. Yep. And that is a, it's a, it's a crying thing what they're doing to me and stressing me out and no return calls and I understand let's see if you can get some satisfaction there if not I'd like to uh, I'd like for you to keep me in the loop let me know what happens because when I was up here for six when I first came up here dealing with this condition also I was six months denied medical attention up here because I was from Newfoundland and when those six months I was reaching into Dr. Hagee and nobody would nobody Dr. Hagee never ever got back to me first or last Sorry to hear that, but call that number and see if you can get some help on the legal front. Yes, it's, it's terrible how I've been treated for the whole time. When the COVID was going on, all the, when I was up here fighting, 
It's terrible. So thank you very much. My pleasure. I wish you a, a speedy recovery and uh, hopefully you get some uh, legal help here with that number this morning. And I will definitely let you know if I, okay. how I work out. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome, Michael. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Uh, break time. When we come back, medical transportation. All right, don't go away. And welcome back. Let's go to line number three. Leonard, here on the air. Morning, Patty. Morning to you. I uh, am a first-time caller in a sense, but in a sense I'm not. I was talking to uh, this fella uh, Tuesday morning about uh, my eyes. Are soon be, I'll soon be blind in that. And before I got a chance to talk to him, he... Uh, he seemed to, he seemed to, uh, that's after phoning the second time. He told me the first time when I called back. The uh, first time I called, and then I called back the, the number. He told me the first time that I'm dialing the wrong number. I said, I just heard the number from Mr. Daly. I said, uh, it got to be the right number. So then we he declared it. Then I called back again, and he answered on the same number. Now, this just sort of brown me off, right? Well, I'm not sure what happened there. I, I do know the numbers, though, yeah. Yeah, and I said, sir, uh, uh, I just called that number that uh, Patty announced. I said, uh, the number that's one eight 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 five nine zero eighty six twenty six. 8626 I said, I'm no dummy. And I said, sir, uh, I just uh, wanted to ask Patty a question or so. He said, well, he said, now, uh, I said, uh, he said, you go ahead and... Uh, so I went ahead. I uh, know. I said. Uh, I said that's okay. I, I wanted. Then I asked him. I wanted to get clear of him. Uh, I got. I got browned off. I said. I want to know about the the, the five hundred dollars because my eyes are really, really bad. And uh, he told me the story uh, that it's not on the go yet. Called me back. He said Mon- uh, in four or five days. So that's Monday or Tuesday. So. Well, now that we have you, what, what's the question? What can I do for you? I'm calling now about uh, the first thing I'm calling about is. Uh, uh, we'll just amend before I forget that I only want two little small things. I'll try to make quick like you. I understand you're busy all the time. No, it's no problem, Leonard. Go I'm ahead. About, uh, I'm calling about, uh, you got it. what's the story on the $500? I need $500 really quick. Well, uh, they have started to send out the checks. So first off, I have a question for you. Did you file your taxes last year? Well, we taxed last year uh, in uh, April, and I called the... Uh, tax seller in Carboneer she had her sent in four or five times and finally early in uh, April early uh, April no I filed a March in April they said yes it's gone in so that's pretty, that's early enough isn't it yeah oh yeah you're on time it's good for you so if you've had your taxes filed so what the pro- the process is is that the people with the lowest incomes will get the first wave of checks so I don't know how much 22,000. Yeah, so you'll be amongst the first batch of checks. So they told us that the process has started. It's going to take upwards of six weeks for every check to get mailed out to the 392,000-ish that are scheduled to receive. What? Did you say who gets the first checks? The lowest income earners. Okay, so how long are we, how long are we looking? Are we looking to win in December too, are we? No, I don't imagine. If the checks go in the mail today for the first wave, and I don't know what the cutoff is for uh, earnings of la- for last year, but you should get a check. If it went in the mail on Wednesday, regardless of where you are in the province, you should have it by at least this time next week. Yeah, okay. This is a, a penny. Uh, okay. I got to tell the truth. You sound like a, you sound like a very uh, young man on TV, like I told that fella the other day. You sound like a very young man, but uh, here's what I want to know. Uh, I got to go. The $500 is gone with one eye done. Listen, listen let me tell you, explain to you how. I got to go to Carboneer, $85. I got to get a taxi, bring me down and back, 40 more. That's a, 
105, uh, 125, and then he got to make a call in St. John's for me, and when I get to call St. John's, it's a uh, taxi, because uh, nobody around now these days, since the money's gone, the gas is high. One hardly had the water for nothing, and caught even my good friends and even my own relatives. Won't do nothing for you, less than taxi money. So I said, I'll give it to the taxi fellow because they're more gentle and more, more good, right? And then the St. John's is 120 in, uh, $30 an hour for we already got to wait to do that eye. So it, it usually runs from three to four because I got the taxi uh, pretty often now that I'm getting. And uh, he's going to give me a little small break in the hours. And then there's a, uh, after that, then uh, that's one eye done. So you're talking on uh, 120 and 90 is uh, $200 plus the, plus the carbon air, 120 I spent. That's 320 there, and then you got to go to the next eye, another 320. It's acting on $650 to get your eyes done. What are you hearing about that? It's supposed to be free, or what's going on? Well, but what does that mean, get your eyes done? Are they going to do me free in St. John's, my eyes? That when I get dinner, have I got to pay for that, too? If you get, are we talking about cataracts or something? I got floaters, I got cataracts, and I got another thing, three things. I used to watch TV 15, 20 feet away. Now I got to get up six or seven feet away from to watch TV and read the, read the writing on it. I can see the TV back for them, but to read the writing on it, I got to get up six or seven feet from the TV. I'm having pains in my head all the time. I'm having pains in my eyes. I got to wash them out every morning really good. And I don't know. Well, okay, the short answer is if you're getting... I no money. I got no money now. No amount of money to get it done now. Nothing, because I... Okay, hold on a second. I got the, uh, the, the, Leonard. I got the wife's cat here to look after, and the wife's dog. They're a very old, one of 17, the dog. The cat is 20, 20, the cat is 20 year old, April coming. Wow. Leonard. She died last year in April. She died last year in April, and I promised her whoever dies before each other, she said, I'm going to die before that cat. I said, No, you're not. Yes, she said, and she did. I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. <laughs> Leonard, Leonard. Leonard. It cost me $65, Patty, every Leonard. Month. Hold on a second. Okay. If you get your cataracts done at the hospital here in St. John's, they'll bill MCP. Pardon? They'll bill MCP for you. You won't have to pay the doctor at the Health Sciences Center. I got, yeah, you got to have your MCP update. I got mine done in, in, in last year in uh, Grand Falls. I had to go. Okay. I went in there, went in there, and, and I done it right away when, they got, when I got the order in the mail. And when I... Sitting in there waiting, waiting, waiting for it in case I needed it. I got it back four months later from Grandpa, but I got it all done. Good. Now, before I get to the news. Yes, at the hospital, they do. So, Leonard, now that you said that I sound like a young man on TV, you and I have spoken before, haven't we? Me and you have spoken on TV. No, I spoke the other morning to this fella that said he was a... That said he... Yeah, okay, I heard all that part. I heard that part, yeah, fancy you spoke to. But, yeah, because someone else said to me recently that I sound one way on the TV and one way, a different way on the radio, and I didn't know what to make of that because I only sound one way in my own head. Okay, Leonard, so... I the spoke to him, I spoke to tell on TV, and I, uh, you, the other day, uh, talking about the, 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 the seals, the, the seals. Uh, okay, could be. Uh, so, see it all. Where's, uh, where's Mrs. Murray going to get the, the, the oil for, for the people that's putting in drugstores now for the the seal oil and uh, liver oil from the seals and all that? There's no, there's, where's the seal come from, Patty, to do that? 
the seals? Where do they come from? Where are they coming from to do that? I fished in Fair uh, uh, Islands in Norway and Portugal everywhere. I did. Besides every, every other place I've been. I've been in Alberta off and on 20 years. You weren't fishing in Alberta? Huh? You weren't fishing in Alberta? <laughs> No, but I fished. I said, I, I got that one in. That's wrong there. Patty, you're smart. I know that, but I, I, you don't mean none of your boys. But listen, what I'm saying is, uh, I'm asking is, where, where is uh, Mrs. Murray going to get the oil or, 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 or the stuff from the body or the meat to make the... I'm not sure what the question oil, means. The seal oil or the, or the seal liver oil. Yeah, I'm not sure what that question is supposed to mean, Leonard. I it all the time. It's lots of it in the drugstore, and I love it. It's, it's doing me good. It's because people can't still go and harbor seals. That's ah, the, we don't have a seal. Yes. This is the one question I want to get before we go, Fatty. Okay, very quickly. Is there any seal fishery in Norway, Faroe Islands, and, and Greenland, and Faroe Islands and all this? Is there anything going on over there? Yes. There is? Yeah. Oh, and there's one here, too. International rules and a different server and uh, okay. over there. All right, Leonard. So the drugstores that I'm getting now in Harbor Grace here. I don't know where it's from. oil from, uh, there's no, no, no more Carino on over in Dillo that I extracted the oil years ago. So we're, they must have a company on, on the plane stuff of this, are they? I don't know. Carino's still in operation. Uh, yeah. I'm off to the news. Listen, you'll get your check, yeah, I would okay, imagine, Patty, sooner. I'm not going to fool, fool around and come some of their assholes on. I'm not like them, Patty. Thank you very much, Patty. Good, good day. Have a good day. <laughs> you too. Um, let's take a break for the news. Bye. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. So good morning to the independent member of the House of Assembly, elected in and serving the folks of Humber Bay of Islands. That's Eddie Joyce. Hiya, Eddie. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Thank you again for taking my call. My pleasure. <laughs> Patty, I just want to uh, let people know, and uh, I've, I've done it through social media and uh, a lot of emails that I got, that the um, the project that GH2, uh, John Risley, has for the um, uh, wind power, hydrogen power, that the uh, Lewis Hill, Serpentine Valley, Blumenau Mountains has been excluded from uh, any uh, any further um, uh, possibility of being included in this uh, program. Yep. So I'm, I'm very pleased. I just want to let people know. And I, um, I I thank the people that helped me out to to keep this uh, keep this in in front and center to ensure that, that it is taken out for the right reasons. And uh, I just want to let people know that it's done. I, I also Petty has to um, acknowledge Andrew Parsons, the minister, w- w- when he um, when he took over. The, the whole file, as the Premier said, and then we had some very uh, frank debates in the House uh, during petitions, which is great, and I presented all the information about sensitivity area, uh, the, all the areas where the geopark and, and the possible UNESCO site, uh, that that was all taken into consideration, so when the Minister sent it out and said, exclude all areas that that would um, uh, not be eligible, uh, that was taken out, as I knew it would be if they uh, finally uh, went down. So i, I got to um, uh, acknowledge that from uh, from the minister who sent it out and for all across the province and said, what are areas that we cannot include? Uh, and this was excluded, which I knew it would be. But uh, the minister's initiative uh, did that. So i just got to acknowledge that. And uh, I'm just glad for the whole area uh, and, the, uh, and for the people who make a living in the area and for the possibility 
facilities in the in the long term uh, site that we get this UNESCO site, this will be a, a great boom for the whole Cornerbrook Humber Bay Valence area. Yeah, I think if that happens, that'll make it six, if I'm not mistaken, yep. uh, including the most recent one, the, the park out in Bonavista. Yeah, so the Lewis Hills, just in case people aren't, don't know exactly what we're talking about here, World Energy GH2, their proposal, the first stage, was what we were always considering. But the, the proposal also included two parcels of land that were not included in the initial environmental assessment. The Lewis Hills would have been the site for the second phase, if and when it ever happens. But it has indeed been backed out, just so people know what, we're, what we are referring to. Yes, and, and Petty, the, the thing, and, and thank you again for letting me uh, express this a couple times in open line, the thing that, that really bothered me as, as a former minister is that they uh, were allowing them the project split and and that was okay we'll get the buildings put up then we can go after to get that site which is a sensitive area and I just mentioned the reasons why it shouldn't have been done but when Minister Parsons um, took over the file he said no no we'll send it out all across as one which I've said from day one that should be done and and once you look at the, the, the reasons why uh, certain areas should be excluded uh, I had no doubt that Lewis Hill, Certain Time Valley and the uh, Blumenau Mountains would be done uh, so it, it the system worked once Minister Parsons took it over, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad of that. And I'm just glad for the people, and I'm glad for the people like Paul Weisall, who spent so much time in, in, in getting this into a geopark and then waiting. Hopefully, we're going to get it in the UNESCO site and, and all the great scenery in, in the moose habitat, the caribou habitat. It would have been just ruined. So I just want to let people know it's out, and, and I'm very pleased. And a lot of people who emailed me, sent me notes, I put it on social media. I just want to let people. Who, who never got the uh, the information that it is excluded from from any further work with the uh, um, with the hydrogen project. Fair enough. Uh, quick question before we go, Eddie. Any move made on the wait list for cataract surgery out west? Absolutely none. Petty is. Um, I brought it up again the last when we were going through that uh, um, when we we're going to uh, for the four healthcare boards to be brought into one. I brought it up on many speeches, and and it, it's so upsetting, Petty. For, for me, now the minister is saying, uh-oh, the, 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 the 3,300 that, that was given out to 3,000 for St. John's, that wasn't for the wait list now. That was just to even it out for the, uh, uh, for the private clinics. Yeah. And, and like, so, so it's not the wait list anymore. The wait list, that was never put out for the wait list. That, that was a misunderstanding, according to the minister. He's the one who said it, but now that was not done after it was shown. And I even gave him the number. Here's the number to call. There's four or five surgeons doing cataract surgery in St. John's at the at the government facilities in St. John's. There's none in Corner Brook. So it's not the wait list anymore. So now the 3,000 that was given for St. John's, that was just even and out because of the private clinics had nothing to do with the wait list. So we still got 800 people in western Newfoundland with a stroke of the pen the minister could take care of that. And you know what's so galling to me about this? You know what's so galling? Here we are setting up clinics to knees and hips because there's a wait list, but yet we got a wait list in Cornerbrook for cataract surgery, a stroke of the pen, we could have it done, and the minister refuses to do it. Either it's something against the Apex building or against me, and we're using these seniors. It's disgraceful. And I refuse, I refuse to let it drop. It's just disgraceful. So now, if I like for the minister to call in, and I like for, or you can call him and ask him, did they go through the Newfoundland Labor Medical Association, which John Hagee said they had to go through? 
is this about the wait list now, or is this just trying to clear up, make sure the even for the um, uh, for the uh, private clinics when there's four or five other specialists doing the same? That's why there's no wait list in St. John's. That's why they only even have a a, a intake officer uh, for for uh, uh, Eastern Newfoundland and Labrador. Ask them how can you justify not doing the uh, the Cornbrook area, all West Coast, even in the Premier's district. There's people calling me from the Premier's district. The Premier won't even speak to from his own own district, from from Derrick and the surrounding areas. <laughs> I'm happy to put it to him. I just wanted to get an update if there was one, Eddie. I appreciate the time. And uh, oh, Patty, just if, if the minister do call in, ask him why is it now changed? Oh, it's not the wait list anymore. It's just even up. You ask him that question because now his tune changed after all the information provided about the uh, the doctors in St. John's doing the work in there and why there's no, there's no intake officer. His tune has changed after he what statements he made was proven false once again. I will put it to him. And, Petty, thank you again for this opportunity, as usual. Thanks, Eddie. All the thank best. You, All right, bye-bye. Eddie Joyce is the independent member for Humber Bay Violence. Okay, let's see. Final break of the morning, final break of the week. Coming up on Monday, the 21st of November is the Newfoundland Labrador Federation of Labor's annual convention. It'll be Mary Shortle's last. She's the president. She joins us after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the president of the NL Federation of Labor. That's Mary Shortle. Hiya, Mary. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you? Thanks for letting me call in. Happy to have you on the show. How long have you been the president or even at the Federation of Labor? I've been the president of the Federation of Labor for the last nine years, and prior to that, I was a full-time rep with the Canadian Labor Congress, so a little over 20 years altogether. <laughs> and why is it time to go now, Mary? Well, it, it is time. I, you know, I've been 40 years in the labor movement, you know, the last 20 or so full-time, uh, and uh, there's lots of issues, and there's lots of uh, lots of people who've been uh, in this fight for a long time as well, and I think it's, it's a good and I'm in a, a good position to be able to do that, to uh, step aside and let other people uh, come in. Nine years is a long time to be at the Fed, so it's a, it's a really good time to, I think, and, and a good time in, in, our, in our movement and in our economy and in the issues that we're facing with uh, to have a change of executives. So, and I'm very happy to make that space. Uh, my activism is not retiring; uh, just my job. So I'll, you know, I'll still be around, but uh, it'll be. Uh, I'm really, really excited about the uh, group of activists in our in our province and the leadership of our province in the union movement. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that change. What's uh, heading the agenda for the convention next week? Well, our theme is stronger together, and I guess that's been. Uh, uh, that's been a nuance of, of many of the themes we've had anyway. But there's an awful lot of issues uh, that are facing. Uh, we have 25 unions in the Fed and you know, the affiliates, uh, not just in Newfoundland, Labrador, but uh, right across Canada. It's been a really tough three years since our last convention for uh, for workers in general and for citizens as well. And we've had uh, so we have a lot of issues. I think uh, big on the uh, big on it is healthcare and uh, what's happening in the economy privatization of public services. We need to talk about climate action and just transition. We've been doing a lot of work uh, around equity issues and making our Fed um, more representative of voices who've historically not been there. Uh, we want to talk about um, you know, some of the most labor law changes that we'd like to see, uh, the, the recent pay equity legislation and what we need to do to uh, make that a little bit stronger. And uh, 
of course, occupational health and safety is always top of mind, and uh, we'll spend a fair amount of time talking about uh, about that as well during the next three, four days. Inside the pay equity legislation, you know, it's only for core government. Does government really have the, or should they have the authority to implement that type of legislation regarding the private sector, or is that a step too far? No, we certainly do have the authority. I mean, lots of jurisdictions um, only deal with the, the private sector. I understand that. But when you look at proactive pay equity legislation federally or in provinces like Ontario and Quebec, it does reach out to the private sector. And it's uh, very specific to that because the intent of government is to uh, eliminate the discrimination in wages, uh, especially in jobs predominantly done uh, by women. And this is uh, and this is what this targets really. We can't do it if you only target uh, the public sector. And by the way, lots, a lot of the public sector are unionized and they've made advances towards more equitable uh, wage uh, wages for the jobs they do anyway. So to, to tackle it as a policy program, as a societal issue and uh, as an equality issue, you have to reach out to the, to the private sector as well. The federal government has done it um, more recently and uh, the human rights and the uh, Supreme Court of Canada have said that governments have that obligation and that governments can't be um, can't resist that. Uh, they, I think the term they use is women can't be used as buffers for uh, for economic recovery. It really is a human rights issue, and it needs to be dealt with through government changes. For the Coles Notes version, the concern that you and others have with the pending changes in employment insurance. Well, I mean, we saw what happened during uh, during uh, the COVID and during pandemic, and prior to that, there were many people unemployed who couldn't, who were paying into a system, and they weren't eligible because of the the restrictions that have been placed over the years, uh, over successive governments in the EI legislation. So, immediate measures. Uh, were needed and taken, and you know it, it wasn't 100% correct. But those temporary measures that were were put in did make it. Um, it broke down all those barriers that allowed people who needed that money right away to access it. And uh, without it, our economy wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, gotten through the same way. And now, right after that, as we're heading into a recession, according to the Bank of Canada and, and government and economists are, are cautioning us around higher unemployment. Um, then there's all of a sudden we're back to the uh, old rules around EI where uh, a lot of people just won't be eligible and so they'll fall through the cracks and they won't uh, they won't have that income as unemployment is set to rise again and so the pressure from the labor mu- unions and other activists to the federal government has been some of those reforms that were temporary measures during a time when it was really needed have been proven to have been actually beneficial to the economy and beneficial uh, for spending power for workers who normally wouldn't have it. Uh, it had a, a maximum, but it also had a minimum floor. And so some of those reforms uh, could be put into permanent reforms. And that's the, uh, that's the conversations that are happening right now uh, at the federal government level. Mary, congratulations on a great run at the Federation of Labor and appreciate your time over the years on the program. Enjoy the convention next week. Thanks, Patty. We will. Thanks for reaching out. Take good care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Mary Shortle is the president of the Newfoundland Labrador Federation of Labor. Last word this morning, one of my favorites, line number three, Bob Thorne, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. Hiya, Bob. Yeah, I got a couple of topics there if there's time. Uh, one is on aviation. I... Uh, 
I heard a while back, a few weeks back, about they found a World War Two plane in Gander Lake. Yeah. And the RCAF was going to make a, a decision on what to do, take it up or leave it go or what have you. But since they identified all the people in it, I think they should take it up to bring closure to the people, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know what the plans are to float it. Apparently, it's in pretty good condition. Even the tires are still inflated, so it's a fascinating yeah. story. Yeah, it would be great. And another thing about, I'm interested in aviation. I understand the plaque or the monument they had out to Babel and speak on about Lindbergh. It's almost, you can't read it now, and that should be done up and put back by Baybud's Big Pond, and another one should be put down by quite a while lake because Lindbergh landed there too. Uh, when I was in Hawaii in the year 1980, uh, we didn't go to uh, Maui where Lindbergh is buried, uh, I was on a charter flight, so I was only on the island of Oahu. If I had, you know, if the charter had taken a side fl- flight, uh, I would have went and saw his uh, grave in Maui. Now, another topic, because it's not much time, I visited the oldest resident in Echo Fort in uh, the October 2000, and... Uh, he was telling me that he found a coin 40 or 50 years ago uh, in the ground not too far from his house, and he loaned it to me, and I took a picture of it. It was brand new. It was 1784 on it. So I I uh, did some research on it, and King Carlos the third is on it, the Bourbon King from Spain, mm-hmm. And he determined that the best way to save the economy of Louisiana was to redeem as much of the paper money as possible and put the territory back on coinage system. Now, I don't know the connection between Spain and uh, Louisiana, but anyway, a shipment of coins went from Veracruz, Mexico, uh, to uh, to Louisiana uh, in uh, 1783, and uh, on the way back uh, the ship was lost. But the coins were delivered to Louisiana. Now whether they had to pass by Newfoundland or not, I don't know. But uh, but anyway, I got it all on. I I got it all on about uh, Carlos the Bourbon King, and I got another uh, sheet on uh, the value of the reels. It was valued at eight reels, pronounced royals. And uh, so, uh, but anyway, there's coins found. What made me uh, look this up is uh, there was a gold coin found down on South Coast, 14 something. Well, this one was 1784, but how many more coins have been found in Newfoundland? Because a lot of people don't tell the government because the government is gimme, 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 gimme. 
Yeah. Yeah, this coin that they found on the southwest coast was minted in London between 1422 and 1427. And the relationship right. between right. Spain and Louisiana. Spain, uh, Louisiana was a colony of Spain for almost 40 years. Uh, reverted back to France just before the Louisiana Purchase. So that's the relationship there. Uh, Bob, always appreciate the time and the information. Hope you have a great weekend. Yeah, and I'm going to drop this off to you. And it's about... Uh, about uh, Carlos III and uh, okay. also uh, about the guy who found it up in Equifort. So I'll drop it off to the station for you. I appreciate that, Bob. Thank you, sir. Okay. Take bye care. Now. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, Bob did indeed have the final word, and we will pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. Talk Monday. Bye-bye.